got a question. How bad can I be? How, how bad can you be? It's not a question we like to wrestle with by ourselves. The video is supposed to play as a song from the 2010 remake of The Lorax, the Dr. Seuss classic, How Bad Can I Be? And the main character, Ted, is singing the song and he asks the question, how bad can I be? He says, hey, bad? I'm not bad. I'm the good guy here. Something good finally happens to me and he's trying to rain on my parade. So he sings this song and says, how bad can I possibly be? I'm just doing what comes naturally. How, how bad can I be? How bad can you be? Parents, you kind of have an idea of how bad your kids can be. Some parents want to stick their head in the sand and say, no, my kid would never. My kid, not my kid, not my kid. That's all them, not my kid. Ephesians chapter two this morning. So we wrestle with this question of how bad can I be? And, and rather than looking at what everybody else says, I believe we should look at what the word of God says about how bad can I possibly be? If you found your place in the book of Ephesians chapter two and you are able, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read the word of God together. Looking at these 10 verses and asking ourselves the question, how bad can I be? probably wasn't the question you were expecting to explore this morning. Paul writes and says this, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as were the others. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us made us alive with Christ even though we were dead. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages at the present time he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from work so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Let's go to this glorious God in prayer. Heavenly Father, glorious God, merciful and kind, full of love for us in Christ Jesus, we approach your throne. And we ask that you would show us who we are and who you made us to be in Christ.
that we would walk with you under the power of your grace through your spirit. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that is still under wrath, that is still a child of disobedience, has not been made alive and seated in the heavenly places, I pray, Father, that all distractions would be taken away. I pray that everything would be removed, that they would see not the darkness, not the blackness of their sin, but the purity, the the cleanliness and the holiness of God, the light of Christ shining that your spirit would save through grace. Father, we love you. Teach our hearts, and we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. How bad can I possibly be? My mom and dad are here this morning, so don't ask them how bad I could possibly be. But wrestle with that question in your heart and in your soul this morning. As we look at the word of God and ask these questions, here's how our sermon's gonna lay out. You see it there on your, in the worship guide. If you wanna fill in the blanks, they're gonna be up here. But you see right there, right there in this passage of scripture and you see in your worship guide how it's gonna lay out. I've got three main points and we're gonna ask how. We're, we're, oh, sorry, we're gonna see why. We're gonna see what our action was. We're gonna ask how and we're gonna see what the result is of the first three. And then our last one, we're just gonna explore a little bit different as we apply to our lives. And, and here's why we're doing this. I believe, especially if you have been part of this church, any church, part of the church for a long time, we forget the why, the how, the action and the result of who we are and what God did for us. And so we've got to pull things out of the back of our mind and place them in the forefront of our mind so that we see the beauty of Christ in, in, the, in the grace of God demonstrated in him that we will say, you know, I was that bad, but this is what he did. So we're going to start with our condition. We have to see ourselves in our condition. Look at what Paul says right there in verse one. And you were dead. It's not a very good condition to be in now, is it? He says, he says you, you were dead. Our condition, if we want to ask the question, how bad can I be because I'm just doing what comes naturally, is death. Not some degree of liveliness, but, but dead. Why, we have to ask the question, why are we dead? Because of sin. We're, we're dead because of sin. Notice Paul says here, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. Now, now here, here's the deal. Paul's not using two different words to say, okay, well, you might've trespassed, but you didn't sin, or you might've sinned, but you didn't trespass. It acts as though one's worse than the other. We can be real, we're Baptists. We like to act like some sin is worse than others. We, we like to put everything on this pecking order, you know? It's, it's like when, when you play Little League Baseball, uh, you always know how good of a player you are based on where your coach puts you in the batting order or, or where he puts you in the field. If you get stuck in right field, you're terrible. Just quit. Because nobody hits the ball to right field. What your coach wants you to do in right field is count grasshoppers and dandelions. They know you're going to be the kid looking back this way and they're going to be calling your name. And that even happens when you're 15. You know, that's what they do. In just a few weeks, the Braves are going to get started in there in their regular season. And just watch over the course of the year. If you don't follow baseball, just watch over the course of the year. Uh, Head coach, what's his name? What's his name? Coach. 
My sister's the biggest Braves fan in the world. She can't, Brian Snicker, that's his name, Brian Snicker. Here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna put his best two hitters in the third and fourth place. And the reason he's gonna do that is because he wants somebody that's gonna get on base first so that one of those two guys is gonna knock it. The fourth place hitter is called the cleanup hitter because he wants to clean the bases with a big hit, right? So, so what ends up happening is if your third or fourth spot hitter starts having a little bit of a slump, what ends up happening is they get bumped down to like seventh or eighth, you know, right there because everybody knows the pitcher's gonna get out. It's not as though there's this triage of sin. When we are in sin, we are dead because of our sins and our trespasses. But I love the way that, the, that Paul writes this. Your translation, no doubt, says you were dead in. You see, you see that word says in? The, 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 the right way to understand this, the right way to translate this is to say by reason of. You're, you're not dead because you did that one thing. You're dead because of the reason of sin that you have in your life and I have in my life. I love the way John MacArthur says this. Uh, dead while walking is the state of every unredeemed person in this life. Oh man, I'm not dead. I'm walking around. Look at me. I can lick my heels. Look at me, I can drive down the interstate. Look at me, I can go to work. Look at me, I can pay my bills. Look at me, I can call. Look at me, look what I can do. I'm not dead. We're talking about a spiritual death. <laughs> Clearly, Paul is not writing to a bunch of corpses. That would be a little bit silly, right? But spiritually, sin has pulled us and separated us to where Paul says, this is your condition and you've got to understand that we are dead because of our sin. Well, what does that mean? What is our action? Look at what he says. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you previously lived according to the ways of the world. We walked the way of the world. We walked according to the pattern of life around us. Can I just share with you a little bit of a secret about Atlanta and about Georgia and about the United States and about this planet Earth? It's not going to push you towards godliness. You can't follow what you see on TV, what you read on a magazine, what you compare yourself to on social media and end up in godliness because the way of the world follows a different order. The way of the world pulls us away from who God created us to be. It's been that way since Genesis 3. See, he says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. We've got to kind of contextualize that just a little bit. Here's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Well, Genesis 2 says that God breathed his breath of life into the nostrils of the man that he formed and then made a helper for him. But before he made that helper for him, he gave Adam one rule. He gave Adam that one rule that said, hey, um, I've made all of this for you. Look at it, it's awesome, isn't it? It's beautiful. You can have whatever you want in here. Be fruitful, multiply, make everything grow, tend to it, love it. But there's one tree over here and this tree is, has the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm gonna tell you right now, don't eat it. That's my one rule, don't eat that fruit. Because in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And then there's Eve standing there by the tree. Genesis 3 says the serpent slithered in there and said, hey, God doesn't want you to be happy. Anybody heard that one before? If I just did things my way, I could be happier, but God really just didn't want me to be happy. That's the way of the world. Guess what? 
thousands of years later, Satan's lie hasn't changed. He's got one trick. He's a one trick pony. That's all I can do. All I can do is replicate that in a thousand different ways to attack you, to pull you away from godliness. And so in sin, what happened was Eve standing there and said, God doesn't want you to be happy. If God wants you to be happy, he'd let you eat of that fruit because God knows if you eat of that fruit, you become like God. And who doesn't want to be like God? It's a good thing that most of you aren't like God because I know some people y'all might zap if you could be like God. God knew what he was doing when he gave himself the power, not us, right? So, so what happens is Eve's standing there. It's like, man, it's the Bible says, when Eve saw the fruit and said, man, that looks good. Juicy fruit like the gum. I'm gonna eat that. And she does. Genesis 3 says, and she gave to her husband who was there with her. And let's, let's unpack that just a little bit because, because what, what we have in this narrative, what we have in Genesis chapter three is not just, woman, you messed it up. But man, you didn't lead your wife towards God. Man, you stood there and you thought, man, God said we would die, but she ain't dead. She's still standing here. So let me, God said you will surely die in the day that you eat of that. But here's what I know. She's still standing there because she's offering me the apple. It looks good. I'm going to eat. I don't care what God said. That's following the way of the world. Adam ate it. Did Adam fall over dead? No. But you know what Adam did do? He introduced a cycle of death and decay and to disruption into this world. See, what Adam heard was you will surely die, but what he didn't realize is what God was said was not that you're gonna fall over dead, but literally what he said was dying you shall die. Anybody's body hurt this week? Anybody have a failure of one of your organs in your lifetime? Anybody been diagnosed with a disease? Anybody feel the sting of sin in our bodies because we're all falling apart from birth? That's dying, you shall die. Why? Because we followed the way of the world. Because Adam said, you know what? God gave me one rule, but I'm gonna bust right through that wall he says, you followed the way of the world. You walked according to that. And then he goes on and says this in verse, in verse two. He says, according, according to the ruler of the power of the air. Let, let me dissect that one for you just a little bit. He ain't talking about Jesus. The ruler of the power of the air at work in the children, the sons, the daughters of the disobedient, of disobedience is but one one, one entity, Satan, the deceiver. See, this is where we don't like to look at ourselves in the mirror plainly. This is where we like to prop ourselves up and make everything look picture perfect on Instagram or Twitter. This is where we like to compare ourselves and say, look, we're awesome, we're good, we're not that bad. But what the Bible teaches is that the moment we are born, we are born in sin. We don't sin, we're not sinners because we have sin. We sin because we're born as sinners. We have no choice, which means the moment we're born, man, I'll stand up here, hold my little baby. Just Y'all saw me. He was standing right, I said, Charlie, you moved your microphone. I was standing about right here, 
holding that little baby. He's got his little pink shirt on and uh, Adora was over here and, and Hudson was over here. And then we had uh, Andre and then we had Purity and we were all standing up here. And here's the thing, the moment that child's born, he's following one person, not mom, not dad, but our common enemy, Satan, period. I don't worship Satan, no. I don't follow the devil. It's the way of the world. Paul says, our condition was dead in our trespasses and sin. By reason of that, because we followed the way of the world. He says, this is who you were. This is who all of us were. So it's not just putting the earbuds in. It's not just hanging out with the kids in high school or hanging out on the college campus or hanging out with friends at work. It is that we are following the pattern of darkness that is around us. So what's the result? We're children of wrath. Notice with me in verse three that Paul does something very, very dynamic. He says there in verse three, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of wrath. Look at what Paul just did. He started off, you were dead. Then he pulled himself in the picture. Paul's not holier than thou. Paul's not walking around saying, you guys are really, really bad, but you remember I'm the apostle. I'm, 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 I'm good. You know, I'm too legit to quit for those of you that were around back in the 90s. And, and here he is, he says, we all, every single one of us, I parsed this Greek word and the Greek word for all means everybody. All of us were under the wrath of God. That's the result. We're under his wrath. I'm married and I've made mistakes. And I don't like the wrath that comes with being a married man making mistakes. See, when I was a kid, I liked to push the limits. And, and, and I like to see how, what, how far I could push back and what I could get away with. And, and, and so it seemed as though I didn't really mind the wrath of mom and dad. Then I got married and that's a different type of wrath. And Christy's not a wrathful person. She is a very generous and gracious, but she hasn't killed me. She is not a wrathful person. I couldn't imagine being under the wrath of God. The heavy hand of a holy God offended by my sin crushing down on me. If you are without Christ Jesus, if you are still in your understanding of the way of the world and I'm gonna go this way, then you by nature of your sin and your trespasses are a child of wrath dead in your transgressions. But God, I love when we get this massive but God in a passage of scripture. Because what we go from is our condition to his intervention. Notice with me in verse four, it says this, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love. See, Paul shifts here and says, there's somebody that could intervene into your death and do something about it. See, you could go over here to Holly Hill and you could start walking around. And nobody does this, by the way. And I mean, if you do, you're a little weird and we need to talk a little bit later. But nobody walks through a cemetery and says, well, that guy's probably more dead than that lady. And, and I know they're in there, but they're probably a little more dead than they were. See, it's a unilateral, all of us equally dead spiritually, but God. But God, not, 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 but I went to church, 
Not but I help that little old lady cross the street. Not but I mowed my neighbor's yard. Not but I tithed. Not but I went to Sunday school. Not but I was a deacon. But God. The only one who could do something does something. And it says here that God was in so madly in love with the people he made in his image. Look, look at this. Why did he do it? Because of his great love. But God, who was rich in mercy, seems like we read that in verse seven of chapter one, because of his great love that he had for us. Remember who we were? Dead in our trespasses and sin? Oh no, I'm not that bad. Nope, not me, not this guy. Who has two thumbs and isn't that bad? This guy, no. All of us, but God demonstrated love. Love. Because of his great love, what did he do? Verse five says this. He made us alive. Wait, wait a second. You, you, you see what happened here? He made us alive that word right there at the beginning of chapter of verse four of chapter two is the controlling verb for the entire passage everything from the beginning you were dead in your trespasses to the end you have been made for good works that God prepared beforehand is controlled by what God did how he intervened that he reached into your death and gave you life not wrath not punishment, not condemnation, life, life. Man, who, who in here, who in here wouldn't reach into the pangs of death, a loved one that we lost too soon, a loved one that we wish we could have back. If you couldn't, because you love them, would not reach into that morgue, would not reach into that mortuary, would not reach into that graveyard and say, come back to life. That's the great love that God had for you. That he would reach into your soul and he would make you alive. Notice it doesn't say that God gave you permission to be alive, that God said, here's an option for you. Notice God's in control here. It says that he did it. You didn't. He did. See, when he came to you, he offered you something you couldn't do on your own. See, salvation is not just forgiveness. It is a transformation. A transformation from death to life. Oh, what a sweet life it is. It's a troubling life. It's not the easiest life. But it's a life filled with the glory of God where we feel his power and see what he did on our behalf. Why? Be because he loved us. Be because he loved us. How, how did he do this? Look at what he says there. He says, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead. Look at verse six. He also raised us up with him and seated us in him, with him in the heavens. All right, let's back up just a little bit. Back up just a little bit. Look with me, if you will, from chapter one, verse 20. Chapter one, verse 20 says this. God exercised this power in Christ 
by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. You know how much God loved you even though you were dead in your trespasses and sin? That he would treat you the same way he treated Christ Jesus. Reach into that tomb and pull your soul out and seat you at the heavenly places with him. That is security. That is security that at the present time when you came to faith in Christ, you weren't just like, okay, I've got to figure this out. He seated you in the most secure place possible in the heavens with him. He said, I will bless you, chapter one, verse three, with every spiritual blessing because I have made you alive in my son. Why? Because he adopted us. He adopted us. You remember the story of Cinderella? We live in princess world at my house because, well, I have a little blonde-headed princess about this time that loves all of the princesses. But you remember the story of Cinderella, right? You got this beautiful, young, little blonde-headed girl. Not Christy, I'm talking about, um, I'm talking about Cinderella. Um, you've got this beautiful, young, blonde-headed girl there and her dad gets sick, I mean, her dad gets remarried and, um, and, and the stepmom has two not so pretty girls and and the dad gets sick and he passes away and what ends up happening to Cinderella she gets forced into a, basically a form of slavery is forced to live up in the top of a tower and is not treated as equal to the other girls See, that's not what God does when it's like, well, Jesus is my beloved and he's the prince of peace and he's the one that's gonna reign on high. So I'm gonna treat him with all this honor. And well, you, you know, you sin. So you, you just kind of sit over here. Yeah, you're forgiven. No, 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 no. He says, I'm going to raise you up just like I did Jesus. I'm gonna sit you at the right hand just like I did Jesus because you are mine. He intervened. He intervened. When the wrath was come crushing down, Christ Jesus came to the cross so that God could say, this is how much I love you. You're mine. You're mine. Maybe this morning you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if I'm God's or not. Trust me. I'm not gonna lie to you unless I tell you your shoe's untied. I'm not gonna lie to you about this. God loves you with an unfathomable love that he would open up the glory of heaven, that he would raise you up, that he would set you at the right hand where his son Christ Jesus is seated. And it's not my word, it's his. Open your Bible, look on your page, see his promise because he said, this is what I will do. It doesn't matter that you were dead in your trespasses and sin. It's grace. And why would he do this? Look at what he says. Why? why? Why would he do this? To display his power. Look in verse seven. That he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. You know why most people don't want to hear what we have to say about Jesus? Because we haven't demonstrated this kind of power, this kind of God with this kind of love in our everyday life. It says he did this so that he could display the immeasurable riches of his kindness. So, so that somebody could say, if that God could change that guy, then I need to be with that God. If that Jesus could transform this person, I need to run to that Jesus who's been magnified and lifted high and has transformed and changed. He says he did this so that he could display his power in us. My youth pastor used to say this all the time. 
we'd go on mission trips and we'd do backyard Bible clubs. And he would say this, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, it really didn't really always click with me, but it makes a whole lot of sense now. He used to always say, you might be the only Jesus some people ever see. God raised us up to display his power. See, our condition was dead. His intervention was to send Jesus. And look what we have. We have salvation. Look at what he says, verse eight. For you are saved by grace through faith. It's not the death. It's not staying in the trespass and the sin. It's seeing the intervention that God set up on the cross of Jesus Christ for you, no matter where you were, no matter what you did. Here's the thing. If it's about grace through faith, then it has little to do with who you are and what you did. It has, it has nothing to do with what you did. So, so I don't care what you put in your body. I don't care what you drank. I don't care what pill you took. I don't care what you injected. I don't care who you slept with, where you slept with, how you slept with them. I don't care. I don't care what you cussed, how you cussed, where you cussed. I don't care when you lied, how you lied, where you lied. I don't care. You know why? Because the grace of God says that's still death. That's still outside of my purpose and my plan, but I still love you. I'm going to save you. I still love you. I'm going to save you. Why? Because you're saved through grace. By his grace through faith. Man, grace. Grace. Such, such a beautiful word. Such a beautiful word. Some would say, use the acronym. You've heard, probably heard it before. God's riches at Christ's expense. Really, it's God giving us what we didn't deserve. See, because of our condition, we deserve that wrath. We deserve to be as the children of disobedience. We deserve that. But instead, God intervened, and in his grace, he gave us something. So, so what do we do? What's our action? He says there, you are saved by grace through faith. Our action is to respond and to exercise faith. Not faith in Evan, not faith in First Baptist Fairburn, not faith in Sunday school, not faith in church attendance, not faith in tithing, not faith in church offices held. Faith in Christ that the love of God was displayed on the cross where our sins were covered and forgiven. It says here in this passage of scripture, it says here that we are saved because it is God's gift the book of Romans in chapter 6 says that because of our sin what we have earned is death we went to that job and we got paid and that payment was death but God gave us a gift so here's the cool thing about a gift you, you don't have to earn a gift you, you, you don't see when you get a gift it's because somebody thought about you and and loved you you don't pay them back for it you, you, you don't you don't say all right I'm gonna do all this yard work for you so you'll buy me something no no that's that's getting paid what you do is you invest in a relationship with somebody and you gift them. I'm telling you, parents, I've told you this before. I've given this challenge before. This year in Christmas, buy your kids gifts to put under the tree based on how good they actually were and what they actually earned. I'm gonna save you a lot of money. 
I'm gonna save you a whole lot of money. Give them presents based on how good they were all year. Not just that one time you got annoyed with them, all year. Gonna save you a whole lot of money. That's not what you do, is it? You buy them gifts because you love them. See, what happened was God loved you enough that he sent his son Jesus to the cross to die for your sins. I believe in an unlimited atonement. Here's what I mean by that. That when Jesus Christ, when, the, when God opened up his veins on that cross and shed that blood, it was sufficient to cover all sins for all people for all time, period. But it has a limited application. It, ha it has a limited application. He says, you've got to exercise faith to receive this gift. You've got to trust him that that blood was sufficient for you to cover your sins for the way that you backtalked your mama, the way that you lied about your homework, the way that you cheated on your taxes, the way that you did this, the way that you did that, that without regard to anything that you were dead and he alone could make you alive. So this year at Christmas, we got one of those cool Chick-fil-A calendars. You know, Chick-fil-A, man, they, they, they like to give everything away. And we got one of those cool Chick-fil-A calendars with that little card that said, hey, you know what? In January, we're going to get a free biscuit. And in February, we're going to get a free mystery. And in March, I don't know what we'll get in March. You know what? I haven't gone to Chick-fil-A to get that free thing yet. It does you no good to not redeem what has been offered to you. My belly went hungry in January because I didn't get my free biscuit. Many of you are remaining children of wrath willfully because you have heard of God's gift and said, you know what? I'm not gonna exercise that faith. I'm not gonna take that gift. Paul says here, but it is not of you. This is not your own grace. This is not something you accomplished. This is what God gives you. And when you take that gift, guess what happens? You're saved. The result is you are saved, you are forgiven, you are transformed, you are taken from the kingdom of death to the, the kingdom of light. I, I, was, I was wanting to put on a white baptism robe right then, but it would just be a little too cumbersome to cover up the black tie and the, back and pull, and the black jacket and everything to pull on, a, on those white baptism robes. But we get clothed anew in Christ. So, so how bad can you be? You can be a child of wrath for the rest of eternity. Or you can receive the gift, the free gift. Doesn't cost you anything. I, I take that back. I just lied to you. It does cost. It costs you everything. It costs your life. You don't have to pay for it with money. You don't have to earn it. You can't earn it. But it'll change who you are. But here's the deal, folks. Some of you are saved. Some of you have realized how bad you could be. Some of you have come to this God through faith in Christ Jesus, that his grace is sufficient to cover you. And you're thinking, okay, yep, I'm good. I got it made in the shade with a glass of lemonade. Here we go. No, 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 no. Look at verse 10 with me. We are his workmanship. That means he made us. He's created all of this in us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. Folks, we have a responsibility. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have a responsibility. 
I know it's 2018, that's not a fun word. Sometime in my generation, the generation before, the word responsibility became one of those dirty potty words, the ones that your mom would take the bar of dial soap and wash your mouth out for using. <clears throat> happened to me once. <clears throat> Should have happened to my sisters more, but it happened to me once. <laughs> Notice the responsibility. He says, God has created these good works ahead of time for us to do. If you've got the New American Standard Version of the Bible, what your, what your translation says is that, that we should walk in them. Folks, we are to walk in good works, to walk in Christ's likeness, to walk according to who God called us to be. And I love that Paul uses this word because we go back to the beginning. Hey, you remember our condition? We were dead in our trespasses, following the way of the world in which we formerly walked. That was the way we used to walk, but now we're in Christ and we're walking a new way. We're walking a better way. We're walking a truer way. We're walking towards the cross that people might see the power of God. 